back in the UK. So I went from the outside lane to the inside lane without even consciously thinking about it, as most of us would. And my good friend from the UK got a little bit upset about it. Now, I have benefited in many ways from living here in Malaysia for the past 15 years or so now. But if there is one way in which living here has not been of terrific benefit to me, it is the terrible state of my driving today. <laughs> I've become a Malaysian driver. And it's no excuse. I'm not blaming it on the country. It is my fault. But what makes it that much worse are the excuses that I use to justify my Malaysian driving habits. When I'm rushing to a church meeting, and I've left a lot later than I should, and soon enough the speedo is breaking that legal threshold, there's a WhatsApp message pinging on my phone down under the dash. It's probably ministry-related, and what do I tell myself as I'm tempted to glance down and look at my phone rather than keep my eyes on the road? when I'm tempted to nudge the speedo just a little bit over the limit, especially when the lights are about to change, I tell myself, well, Tim, ministry's important. And you're doing God's work now. You know, white lines at roundabouts, mandated speed restrictions, those are for other people. You're a minister, and you need to stay informed and to get where you are going because you're doing the work of the Lord. To my shame, I have used that excuse on occasion to justify my reckless driving when I'm having a stressful day. And yet, I don't think it's just an issue for disorganized pastors like me. I think it's part and parcel of a, of a wider issue that many of us struggle with as Christians. Uh, we are tempted to think that because we're doing some work related to the gospel, we don't have to take our obligations to our human masters that seriously, especially when they seem so inconvenient. You know, perhaps when we're tempted to clock out early from work time to time because we've got a few things to do before attending our growth group. Perhaps we've been tempted on occasion to fiddle with our tax forms just a little bit, and we tell ourselves, well, it means I can give more to the gospel, doesn't it? It's much better than what the government will probably do with my money. Perhaps today we need to hear the words my friend spoke in the back of that hire car. The white lines matter, Tim. As we come to Luke this morning, Jesus helps us to see why. Why we should be quick to honor the authorities God has placed over us in this life wherever we can as his people. Now before we get to that, we need to remember that Jesus isn't teaching his disciples directly here in Luke 20. This isn't a classroom scene that we're coming back to. Jesus is in the middle of a verbal boxing match. Where are we? Our first point. Jesus is currently in the temple. He is in the place of teaching for the Jews. We, we saw uh, a couple of weeks ago how he, he had come to the temple in great anger as he exposed the corrupt practices of the temple merchants and the religious leaders who were approving of what they were doing. And so round one of this verbal boxing match began with these leaders challenging Jesus' authority. By what authority are you doing these things, Jesus? They screamed at him. And then Jesus went on the defensive by asking them a question, a question which they, they refused to answer for fear of the people. And so then Jesus went on the offensive with them. 
as last week we saw him share the parable of the tenants. He pictured God as a man who planted a vineyard and then left his tenants in charge of it. But as the man sent servant after servant to his vineyard to gather what was rightfully his to collect the fruit, each one of his servants were treated shamefully by the tenants. They were scoundrels. Uh, They disgraced, they beat, and they threw back their master's servants every time. Eventually, the man sent his only son, thinking, well, they will respect my son. But the wicked tenants took the son, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him in the hopes that the vineyard would become theirs. But it was the man, the master, who had the last word. Come back to verse 9 quickly of chapter 20. Verse 9. Sorry, that's wrong. Let me find the right verse. Verse 16. Verse 15 and 16. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now Jesus spoke this parable to expose the corrupt religious leadership that were trying to get rid of him right here in Jerusalem. How they were actually the tenants who were entrusted with looking after God's people, God's vineyard rightly. But rather than heeding God's word, receiving God's servants, his prophets, they had rejected both God and them. And they had led Israel astray for their own selfish gain. As a foretaste of what they would do to God's own son. But it would be that same son who would have the final word. Jesus says as he speaks this psalm in verse 17. From Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Well, we know that the religious leaders got the message because we see their response in our first verse today in verse 19. Read it with me. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on Jesus at that very hour. For they perceived that he had told this parable against them. See, these religious leaders, they were up for fulfilling their part of the parable there and then. They wanted to kill God's son in Jesus right there on the spot. But that also meant they were aware that to harm him there and then would mean the crowds turning on them there and then. See, they hate Jesus, but they fear the people who love him. And so what they do is they step back into the shadows, they wait They watch and they plot against him. And that brings us to our scene today from verse 20. These crafty spies. What do they do? Verse 20. So they watched Jesus and sent spies. They they resort to subterfuge. They try to get rid of Jesus through some uh, proxies. Luke tells us they send spies to work against him who have a simple goal. The trick, verse 20 again. They watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said. So these spies, they're going to play nice with Jesus. They're going to pretend to be genuinely interested followers, but only so that they might catch him in his words. They might put him on the wrong side of the law. You see the goal they have at the end of verse 20. So as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. 
That was their goal, to put Jesus on the wrong side of the law. We need to remember that Israel at this time is an occupied nation. Uh, The Roman Empire colonized most of the Jewish homeland after Alexander the Great's empire dissolved around the 3rd century BC. So right now, Israel has no king of their own on the throne. Tiberius Caesar was their ruler, and it was his sword that they feared and loathed the most. And it's that same sword that these spies are counting on to get rid of Jesus as they trick him into declaring himself an enemy of the state. Come to their crafty approach in verse 21. Here's what they have to say to Jesus. Verse 21. So they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. It's very flattering. Uh, They start by saying all the things that a Jewish teacher of the law would just love to hear. Firstly, see how they address Jesus? They they call him teacher. That That was a title of great honor, particularly in the temple grounds. They approve of his words. You teach it right, Jesus. And you teach it no matter who might be listening. They praise him for his impartiality. You, Jesus, you truly teach the way of God. That is a distinctly Jewish compliment. The way of God is what the Jews prized. Unlike the Greeks who were all about the, the truth of God, they called it, about head knowledge growing in their understanding, the Jews valued a whole life devoted to knowing God's will and living it out in public, the way of God. These spies are showing Jesus some powerful praise here. But of course, what they're really trying to do is get him all puffed up and proud as a Jew and whip him up into some nationalistic zeal so they can trap him with their crafty question that we have in verse 22. Here's their crafty question for Jesus. Verse 22, they ask him, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Now, when was the last time you faced a no-win situation? No matter what you do, you are going to face the music. It seems that once you've become the parent of more than one child, the number of no-win situations you find yourself in escalates dramatically. So just last week, myself and my family, we went for the easy option for Saturday lunch. We headed to the local McDonald's drive through Of course, Josiah and Bethany, they both desperately wanted Happy Meals, not for the food, but for that little plastic toy that they come with. And without even thinking, uh, I, I ordered the Happy Meals, and I paid, and I pulled up to get the food. And one Happy Meal came through with a toy, and then the second Happy Meal came through with a toy, a different toy. And there and then, the blood just drained from my face as I realized I had forgotten to tell the server what I always normally tell him, please, please, give me two of the same toy. And so now I face this self-imposed no-win situation. Every parent in the room knows how stupid I am right now. Option one, give Josiah and Bethany their different toys and let the fighting commence over who gets which one. Option two, hide the toys as quickly in in somewhere else in the car 
and face two very grumpy kids who have been looking forward to their Happy Meal toys all morning. No win here. Lose, lose. That is exactly what these crafty spies think they've done to Jesus with their crafty question. Put him in a no-win, a lose-lose situation. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? How is this a lose-lose question? Well, Caesar's tribute was the emperor's tax. So it went to support his legacy and war efforts throughout the whole empire. And those who were found guilty of evading that tax, they were charged with sedition, which meant very quickly being labeled an enemy of the state, followed by a not-so-swift execution. That was the preferred outcome for these spies concerning Jesus, that he would speak against the emperor's tax as a Jew, giving them the ammunition they needed to have him put to death by a Roman sword. But they also knew that if Jesus went the other way and he showed tacit support for the tax, it would likely turn those temple crowds against him. You see, this tax was one of the most controversial practices in Jesus' day. The Jews, they resented it bitterly. One of the most radical groups amongst them, the Zealots, they would chant in their own streets, no king but God. And they would not pay the tax under any circumstances. This tax was a continual reminder to all the Jews they were an occupied people. They were living under pagan rulers that had little concern for their welfare or their way of life. So coming out for this tax as a Jew, not a good idea. Especially given what Luke has already told us about the crowds around Jesus in the temple. Why the Pharisees were so afraid to put a foot wrong with them. Look back in 20 verse 6. And we read, the Pharisees say to themselves, but if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. These crowds were not user-friendly. You know, say the wrong thing, it really could cost your life there and then. So the spies are sure that whichever way Jesus answers their crafty question, he is going to lose. Either the Romans are going to kill him or his own people will do the job for them. Yet, thankfully, Jesus is much better at getting out of no-win situations than me with my kids at the McDonald's drive-thru. He knows what these crafty spies are, going, are trying to do. So he doesn't give a simple yes or no. He gives them far more than what they bargained for. We come to Jesus' answer in verse 23. Give honor where it is due. Verse 23, but he perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a denarius. Uh, Jesus asked them to take out a coin from their own pockets, a denarius. This was a very common coin. Everyone in the temple would have known what it was because it was the average way a laborer would earn in a day. Uh, but not only that, the denarius was a Roman coin. It's a bit embarrassing for the spies who are questioning Jesus over Caesar's tax when they've got Caesar's coins in their own pockets. Well, they begrudgingly show Jesus one of these coins, and he asks them, verse 24, whose likeness and inscription does it have? Whose likeness and inscription is on the coin? What he literally asks is, whose image and inscription is on this coin? And they respond, verse 24, Caesar's. And that's spot on. If we look to the screens, here's a denarius. 
And you'll see with a rough etching of Caesar's face on the front of it, his image. And that was a sign of Caesar's authority. This was Caesar's economy the spies were buying into with the coins that bore his image, his likeness. So they were playing by his rules when it came to money matters. And so Jesus says to them, verse 25, then render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's. You're using Caesar's money that bear the image of his authority. So be consistent. Pay the taxes that you owe him. Show honor where it is due. But Jesus doesn't stop there. You know, they might have owed Caesar some tax, and Jesus says that's legitimate, but then he challenges them further. Verse 25 again, we'll read the whole thing. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Uh, Jesus tells these spies, yes, respect Caesar's authority, but don't forget the God." who even Caesar and all of you will answer to one day. You know, Caesar may have had his coins that bore his image of of limited worldly authority, but God's image that speaks of his authority over all things, that image is everywhere we look today. When do we see it? Every time you look in the mirror. You see, we're told God created us in his Image. That's what we read back in Genesis in our Old Testament reading, how God created us in his image, made us to bear his likeness by giving us authority as mankind to rule over the creation under him, to be the stewards of all that he had made. A wonderful authority. Now, in our sin, we have done a terrible job of that. But the very fact that we're still at the top of every food chain that we're considered the apex predator on every scale, it points to the fact that we're still those who are made in the image of God. We are living, breathing testimonies testimonies to his unlimited authority. Our rule of this world is just a pale reflection of God's rule over everything, including us. Of course, it is God who is the one who gives us our every breath, who determines our every step, And so we owe him our very lives, our every thought, our every word, our every breath. Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, yes, and to God the things that are God's. The spies can't say anything to that. Any charges of sedition cannot stick. Jesus says, honor Caesar and his limited authority over you. Yes, pay his tax. But the crowds have no reason to turn against Jesus either, given he has implicitly declared God is ruler over all, including Caesar. Caesar, the spies, everyone made in his image, showing forth his sovereign rule. So verse 26, we're told the spies, they just marvel in silence. They cannot say another word. They've lost. But in this confrontation, Jesus has made it clear. Caesar's limited authority over the people of his time And God's unlimited authority over all people at all times. They are not mutually incompatible. We are to simply show honor where it is due. And more often than not, we honor God as we honor the rulers that he has put over us. The Caesars of our day. 
Are we giving honor where it is due as God's people? Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And for us, of course, today, that means living faithfully wherever we can under our governing authorities, as the authorities whom God has installed according to his wisdom at this time. What excuses do we make to refuse them and refuse God in the process for our own selfish gain. I think one of the most common ones, and I tell myself this, I'm guilty of this, particularly for us here in Malaysia, we just say, the Malaysian authorities are so corrupt. Scandal after scandal. One MDB, billion dollar whale, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Embezzlement, cover-ups. More and more coming out at the moment. But we're still paying for the crimes of the previous administration and and we're yet to see if the new guys are really any better. Why should I respect their authority? Why should I follow their rules, given what scoundrels they can be? And yet that argument, that might make sense to so many people, it simply doesn't hold water, given what Jesus says here. He knew that the Caesar of his day was far from an ideal ruler for God's people. A man who had little fear of God before his eyes. So that very coin, the denarius, that Jesus used to point to Caesar's legitimate authority, the inscription on that coin read, Caesar Augustus Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. It promoted the lie that Caesar was to be revered as a god. And on the other side, there was a picture of his mother, considered the great high priestess of the Roman cult religion. This coin had more blasphemies on it than the first sermon I ever preached when I was 14 years old. It was really bad. But Jesus still says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Not because he's a good guy, but because he is the ruler that God has allowed in that limited space for that limited time according to his limitless wisdom. And so his disciples were to honor Caesar in love for the God who had installed him. The God to whom they owed their very lives. And that brings us to our second application Give to God, though, what is God's. And this is where the spies failed miserably. They were were fine submitting to the, the lowly rule of Caesar for their own selfish purposes, buying into his economy, carrying his coins in their pocket. But they made the far greater error of refusing to honor the far greater authority of God himself. As they seek here to destroy his own son. God's promised king for them in Jesus, and as they even depend on Caesar's sword to do it for them. This is the first of ten attempts they make from this point in Luke's gospel to destroy Jesus for their own selfish gain. And in the end, they do appear to succeed. As Jesus is betrayed, as he's given a mock trial, as he's delivered up to Pilate, the Roman governor, and then condemned on trumped-up charges of sedition, though he had committed no crime, And yet as God's son, he did not resist. As God's son, he willingly laid down his life. Because he did not come to rival a human kingdom. He came to establish a far greater one. 
Not temporary like Caesar's, but eternal. Not earthbound like Caesar's, but universal. God's kingdom. Eternal life with the God that we were made to know and enjoy and find our rest in forever. You see, that is the one place we need to be. God is the one person we need to be with at the end of the day. But that meant Jesus willingly going to the cross for our sakes. Because deep down, I know I am, we are all like these spies. Left to our own devices, we would deny Jesus as our king and choose to live for our own selfish gain, to to dishonor God and the authorities that he's put over us because I know in my heart I'm a rebel. I'm a sinner. And there is nothing that, that we can do in and of ourselves to deal with the problem of our sin because as those made in his image, we already owe God everything. Every thought, every word, every deed, every breath. And I know in my sin, I failed to do that. I owe God a debt that I can never repay, no matter what I do. Our only hope is to rely on God's grace. The undeserved favor that he has shown us in his son, who laid down his life willingly in love to deal with our every sin, to pay for it all by his own blood. And then leave those sins behind in the tomb as he was raised to imperishable life, never to die again. And his resurrection is God's statement to the world. His kingdom has come. Jesus, my king, is exalted. And he will return. And he will judge. And our only hope as sinners is to take our refuge in him. You see, don't make the terrible mistake that the spies make here. They had time for Caesar but they had no time for God in Christ. If we reject him as they did, then we will pay for our sins ourselves. There's no hope, there's no life, there's no rest there. Don't be that guy. Receive Christ as your king who died to set you free. And if we have done that, then we will seek wherever we can as his people to honor the Caesars of our day. Because we know the God who put them in their place. And we want to serve and honor him above all in response to the great love he has shown us in his son. Now I know that, I'm sure by now, there are many of us thinking, well, yes, Tim, okay. But what about the sea- when Caesar steps out of his God-given authority by restricting something that God tells us to do or by promoting something that God tells us we cannot do as his people? What about faithful disobedience? See, that's exactly what's happening right now publicly. It's been made very public online for the church in China as the CCP's security forces detain pastors and close churches and insist that the ones that remain open preach something other than the true word of God. And one of our dear brothers directly affected is Pastor Wang Yi. And he is standing firm. He is loving and obeying God rightly, which means for him in his situation, defying his wicked human rulers. And he is suffering a lot for it. But look at how he speaks. Sorry, I have to read this. It's not there. But look at how he speaks of his faithful disobedience as I read a part of this open letter that he published online last December. I'll just read it for us. He writes, 
Christ is so urgent and willing to forgive all who turn from sin. This is the purpose of all the work of the church in China, and this is also my pastoral call. To this end, I accept and respect the CCP's regime as a temporary ruler allowed by God. As the Lord's servant John Calvin said, the ruler of evil is God's punishment for the wicked people, and the purpose is to urge the people of God to repent. To this end, I am willing to obey their law enforcement behavior physically as if obeying the Lord's discipline and training. I also believe that the persecution of the church by the Chinese communist regime is an extremely evil crime. And as a pastor of the Christian church, this calling also requires me to violate all human laws that violate the Bible and God in a nonviolent form in patience and peace. Christ my Savior also asks me to joyfully bear all the costs of transgressing evil laws. Pastor Wang Yi is living out Jesus' words right now by this letter. He shows profound respect for the authorities that are actively persecuting him and his family and his church right now. He recognizes that they are still God's temporary rulers for China at this time, even though he rightly declares that their agenda is clearly against God and his church. So where he must, he honors God and not man whilst he peacefully and patiently endures the penalties for his faithful disobedience. He's not a political insurrectionist. He's not interested in establishing a rival kingdom in this world. He's concerned to serve Christ and his eternal kingdom, and so suffer for the sake of the gospel where necessary, just as Christ gave his all for us, his church. And we need to be praying for this brother, and others like him who are enduring such hostility for their faith in China right now. But given his Christ-like example, how much more should we as God's people here in Malaysia, with, at least for us, the far greater we enjoy at this time in this land, be, be honoring God as we honor the rulers he has put over us where we can, as we live upstanding and godly lives in this present age that helps us to commend Christ all the more to our neighbors. So when we're tempted to get that pirated DVD or to photocopy that expensive textbook, when we're tempted to fiddle our taxes just that little bit and tell ourselves, well, it's so I can give more to mission, remember Jesus' words. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Let's be showing honor where it is due as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to him, whatever that might mean this coming week. And let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word and we acknowledge that it is a hard word, that there are times when we are greatly tempted to defy the rulers above us because of what they are like We pray, Lord, that you would give us the mind and spirit and humility of Christ. We pray, Lord, you would help us to honor you. And so honor Caesar where we can as your people. And we pray that you would help us to be faithful in prayer and support of those who are honoring you by defying the rulers of their land at this time. Strengthen them, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.